and welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast, a discussion of God's extraordinary works through His ordinary ways. I'm Winston Weber, and Mike and I today are going to be discussing the issue of the sufficiency of Scripture. That's right, Winston. God's Word is authoritative. It is sufficient. As Jesus said, uh, your word is truth. And so we are here today to talk about the sufficiency and the authority of the word of God. That's right. And this issue is really, if there is ever an issue that needs to be governing our lives on a day-to-day, week-by-week, hour-by-hour basis, this is the one, the authority and sufficiency of scripture. It has to be on the forefront of our minds, right? Right. Because we live in a shifting world. There's things that are always changing. And it gives us great confidence to know that the word of God never changes. That's right. So part of what we're going to be doing today is uh, you've been doing a lot of research on this whole issue. You know, we we talked about the hearing the voice of God. That's an issue you've been studying as well as uh, preaching and this issue too, the authority and sufficiency of scripture. So we want to dive into that a little bit further and kind of understand why this is such a pivotal issue, why it infects everything else that we do, whether it's how we pray, how we talk to one another, uh, how we go to church. Any of these issues is affected by how we view scripture and how authoritative and sufficient it really is, right? Absolutely. Martin Luther said, let the man who would hear God speak, read holy scripture. Mm. Thomas Watson said about scripture, think in every line you read, that God is speaking to you. This is God communicating his will and revealing himself through his written canonized word, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. Mm. And it's the only viable, reliable, authoritative, sufficient revelation from God. And I mentioned before, it stands forever, yet it is routinely attacked. It is routinely cut down and set aside by many modern evangelical preachers in favor of pragmatics and expediency. And, and, and what we lose is confidence in the actual word of God, because as I say, often uh, the spirit of God uses the word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. Mm. What we're talking about in kind of the terminology, and we've talked about this before, this is nothing new for probably many people listening, but mm-hmm. the issue of sola scriptura. Uh, right. We've had Grace Bible Institutes that cover the subject. You've done a sermon series on it. So this is a, a pretty familiar topic, we hope. But here's the thing is, even in my own life, I've heard about this issue of the Bible being authoritative, it being sufficient, it being the only rule of faith for the church. I've heard all those things. And yet, for some reason, it took probably a dozen times. I'm very thick-skulled. so Aren't we all? <laughs> so it, it took quite a long time for me to figure out exactly how true that is and what that means. And so that's what we're going to talk, uh, talk about today. Right. Let's talk about why... Sola Scriptura is so important. I truly believe the church rises or falls with Sola Scriptura, and it has to do with a supreme sufficiency of the Word of God as our authority in all spiritual matters. And so what Sola Scriptura means is that all truth necessary for our salvation and spiritual life is taught either explicitly or implicitly in Scripture. Now, this term Sola Scriptura, it's a Latin term, two Latin words, and it means Scripture alone. 
And this is one of the distinctive features of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, it signaled the, the reformers' departure uh, from the Catholic Church and the, the alleged infallibility of the Pope and the authority of tradition. And so the reformers basically reclaimed the principle of sola scriptura that had always existed in the church, that scripture is supremely sufficient. Second Peter 1.20 tells us, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's right. And it's more obvious in terms of going from the Protestant Reformation versus the Catholic Church, because at the very least, Roman Catholicism is very clear about their claims. One of the things they say is that they have a three-legged stool for revelation, that they have the church, they have tradition, and they have the word of God. And those all three create a, a level surface by which they can govern their lives. Contrast that against what you've just said, sola scriptura. It is not a three-legged stool. We stand alone on the word of God. That is right, but here's the problem. So set the Catholic Church aside for a moment, and let's talk about the evangelical church. The evangelical church is using a three-legged stool. And what they're saying is, well, scripture is important. No one's going to deny inerrancy or infallibility. They're going to deny sufficiency. So what they'll say is this, scripture is important, but so are my experiences. And so are the messages that God gives me outside of scripture. And you can just test this by you know, talking to some people and asking them, how does God lead and guide them? And not as many believers as you would hope would say the spirit of God illumines uh, the, the, the word of God to me that I understand it now. And I make wise decisions based on the big truths of scripture. And I firmly believe you have a solid grasp of sola scriptura, where you're trusting the spirit of God to use the word of God in your life, and you want to be obedient to it, that's going to drive our preaching. That's going to drive our keeping away from error. I mean, here's the thing. There are, there are a lot of non-biblical understandings about how God speaks and how he communicates with us. And it, what it results in is a lot of confusion, and then people will cut down the authority of the word of God. So if we want a precise, robust handling of scripture in our assemblies, but also in our own lives, we want to glorify God in fruitful evangelism and discipleship, then we need to say scripture's sufficient because otherwise we're left up to our own devices. We're, we're going to just go with whatever we think is best. And, and that's been really mankind's problem all the way through, not listening to what God has already said. And that's exactly right. What you've found is that the whole idea of extra revelation and having this voice of God sort of terminology going around is that you've said it already. Denial or at least dilution of the sufficiency of scripture, that scripture is all we need for life and godliness. Right, because false teachers are going to tell you you should expect more than scripture. That's right. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? When you say false teachers are doing that, how are they doing? Who is doing this? And then how how are they doing that? Okay, so I'm going to give you a few examples, but let me give you some good examples. Okay, 
Kevin DeYoung uh, wrote a book on the word of God and it's called taking God at his word. Okay. Why the Bible is noble, necessary enough, and what that means for you and me. It's a good book. So Kevin DeYoung says the finality of Christ's redemption for us is ultimately tied, intimately tied to the finality of his revelation to us. If we say revelation is not complete, we must admit that somehow the work of redemption also remains unfinished. Mm. Scripture is enough because the work of Christ is enough. They stand or fall together. And what a lot of people are saying is, well, God is still giving new revelation. But the Bible is really clear. We are not to add anything to the written word of God. And a lot of people don't think it's so important. And it is very, very important. So scripture is sufficient. There is no new revelation coming from God. Hebrews 1 tells us long ago in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. That's in the perfect tense and the completed action in his son in the New Testament. So he's going to lead us. He's going to guide us, but he's not going to speak new revelation. He will illumine the revelation he already gave. I think a lot of people confuse the inspiration of scripture with the illumination of scripture. And so people are looking for new revelation when they should be uh, just looking for a better understanding of what already exists. So I know what inspiration is. That That is clearly taught, 2 Timothy 3.16, right? Paired that with the passage in 2 Peter that these men are carried along by the Holy Spirit, that it is the very word of God, that God uses them to write scripture. I, I get that part. Talk to me a little bit about illumination. Can you define that a little more narrowly for me? So there's no longer any new revelation coming from God, the same spirit of God who spoke the word now gives illumination to all believers because without his illumination, we cannot understand the word. Now you go, well, I haven't heard this term illumination. What are we talking about, Mike? Well, it's this Psalm 119 verse 130 says the unfolding of your words gives light, gives understanding to the simple unfolding. There means opening, unveiling, uh, giving understanding of something that was otherwise difficult. Psalm 119 verse 18 is a prayer and it says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. I see. That's the idea that we would actually understand what God has said in his word and not confuse that with God needs to tell me new messages. No, he, he wants to actually apply the word to our lives. Think about this. I don't know anyone who has the whole Bible memorized. That would be real nice. <laughs> right. So why are we going out looking for new messages when we haven't digested the message we were given mm. to begin with? Yeah. Let's talk more about illumination. How is it different from inspiration? Okay. Inspiration was given to those who wrote the Bible. The spirit enabled the writers to write in God chosen words infallibly. And it was the truth that God revealed. So God freely gives us the gift of his word. But illumination then is for all believers who seek to know and understand God's divinely written truth. So the spirit helps you understand the truth that was given by revelation and written down by inspiration. So through illumination, the Holy Spirit is providing us the capacity to discern divine truth. Let me give you a couple quotes because I think they're very significant. The man named O. Palmer Robertson and he wrote a book called The Final Word. And here's what he said. The Spirit of God continues to illumine the truth of the Bible so that the hearts and minds of men can understand and believe. Affirming that special revelation about Jesus no longer occurs does not mean that God no longer communicates to his people. 
but the work of the spirit in the hearts of men by that work, millions of people all over the world daily come to a better understanding of the truths of God as found in the Bible. Constantly, he leads men, women, and children into a deeper understanding of the truth of the word of God. So the Bible tells us that unbelievers cannot understand the Bible. Now, believers may find it difficult at times, might find it difficult to understand at times. We trust the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. Now, let me give you another quote. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, We have all truth in the New Testament, and we have no need of any further revelations. All has been given. Everything that is necessary for us is available. Therefore, if a man claims to have received a revelation of some fresh truth, we should suspect him immediately. The need for prophets ends once we have the canon of the New Testament. We no longer need direct revelations of truth. The truth is in the Bible. And we must never separate the spirit and the word. The spirit speaks to us through the word. Powerful. So you didn't quite answer my question, Mike. I'm going to kind of pin you to this one. I, I said, what were those teachings? You did just answer that. Who's going around saying that this is equal to scripture? So in one part, I want to be really careful because I don't want to speak ill of brothers in Christ. On the other hand, how will we know false teaching unless we point it out? And I mean, as an ordinary churchgoer who is under elders and you are an elder, you're kind of responsible to keep me away from false teaching, right? Right. I think it's my duty to bring up some of these things. Now, I'm not going to bring up all the ones I'm aware of, but let me, I want to take you back really 20, 30 years on two of these authors. And I believe that they have done more harm to the body of Christ than anyone realizes. Mm. And they are Henry Blackaby, who wrote a book called Experiencing God, and Dallas Willard, who wrote a book called Hearing God. Now, these are godly men who did a lot of good work. Their ministries were very fruitful. A lot of their writings are very valid and very good. But both of these men basically went off the reservation when it came to hearing from God. And without even knowing it, they, they cut at the roots of the sufficiency and authority of scripture. And many people have really uh, latched on to their teaching over the years. And so let me go ahead and point out some of that. Okay. And I want to be careful with this because a lot of people respect their teachings. And again, these are both men whom I've read their books and have not had huge problems. I would say with Dallas Willard, some of his teaching, um, he goes too far into philosophy and his own ideas and not biblical theology because hmm. he was a philosopher. He never claimed to be a theologian, but people take him that way. So I think there's a, an endless parade, by the way, of people that would say the Bible isn't fully sufficient. But Dallas Willard is an interesting case. He claimed to believe the Bible, but he made huge assumptions and leaps based on philosophy, not biblical theology, in accordance with Orthodox Christianity. So basically, he was untethered from the all-sufficient written word and therefore taught some really harmful and unbiblical practices. Now, he approached the topic of divine guidance from the angle of his own mind. And he twisted scripture or he ignored it outright. I'm not making things up. You can read his book, Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. He wrote it in 1994. And his ideas are now so mainstream that many wouldn't think twice about it. But here's what he says. As with all close personal relationships, we can surely count on God to speak to each one of us when and as it is appropriate. He said that it is essentially the still small voice. 
Now that's not exegetically based. His book is a collection of thoughts. Uh, He is a self-proclaimed authority on this. So Willard says that God speaks directly and personally to his people through a still small voice in their spirits. Mm. Now he's taking something from first Kings chapter 18, which was actually a correction uh, that God was giving to Elijah, the prophet on his misunderstanding of the way God works. And he's now turning that into, you should hear a still small voice in your spirit. And we kind of addressed that in the hearing the voice of God episode from a few weeks back. So if you want more information on that, go ahead and go back and listen to that episode. So Willard considers the Bible a sort of rule book recording how God spoke to his people in the past. He even says that he says, you need to read the Bible basically with the assumption that the experiences you read about there will be the same type you should expect to have. So what you're saying is I need to go find a donkey because the donkey is going to speak to me just (laughs) like it spoke to Balaam, right? Willard says we must pray for the faith and for the experience that would enable us to believe that such things could happen to us. Only then will we be able to recognize, accept, and dwell in them when they come. Mm. And so basically he's saying you need to have the same experience that maybe one person had in the Bible, but he's going to now say everyone needs to have that experience. So he's talking to people about how do you learn to recognize God's voice? He doesn't believe in the sufficiency of scripture because he's not saying that the Bible is God's voice. So he is saying that you should expect God to speak through your experiences. And I know that that is a very common thing in, with a lot of people today, but Henry Blackaby was no different. In fact, he gave seven realities of experiencing God. And one of them was this, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Now, this goes off base on the matter of hearing from God because it goes away from scripture. Now, both these men would say, well, it will never contradict scripture. And the big question you need to ask yourself is, then why the need for that message? Mm -hmm. If it's already in the Bible, why do you need that message? And where in the Bible does it teach that you should have these messages? Here's what Blackaby says. God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. He uses the Bible, prayer, and circumstances, and the church. No one of these messages of God speaking is by itself a clear indicator of God's directions. So right there, he's put the Bible prayer, circumstances, and the church on the same footing. He's created a four-legged stool. Well, here's what he said. When God says the same thing through each of these ways, you can have confidence to proceed. And then he says this, do not let anyone intimidate you about hearing from God. Focus your attention on hearing God's call to an assignment. And then he says, once you have an intimate love relationship with God, he will show you what he is doing. And then he says, if the Christian does not know when God is speaking, he is in trouble at the heart of his Christian life. Ugh. So basically he's putting Christians in this scary moment where they, they don't know for sure if they're really following God the right way and loving God the right way. And this is not taught in scripture. So these misleading teachings, they put God in a box, they put you in a straitjacket. What's interesting too is that they would oftentimes criticize us of putting God in a box. And I want to make clear, We are not saying that God can't operate this way because it's clearly revealed in scripture that he did. Right. We're saying that it's not normative for Christians to expect this. That's right. We have the all-sufficient word. What what Blackaby and what Willard do is they keep people emotionally imprisoned and fearful of stepping outside of God's will because they're using these superstitious ways to figure things out. So Christians get injured by this way of teaching. What they do is they trust their own mind above the word of God. And, And of course, believers experience God. Of course, he illumines our minds by his spirit through his word. 
I think we've been sold an emotional kind of flesh-pleasing bill of goods with hyper-mystical undertones, and it's really modern-day Gnosticism. You can find out the secret knowledge if you're good enough, if you're pleasing enough to God, if you do the right things. Uh, There are even others that have taken these to even weirder extremes who has come up with 12 ways to find out what God is saying to you. And he's basically saying this, you're going to do this Emmanuel journeying and have spiritual empathy and do thought rhyming with God's spirit through receiving God's empathy for your embodied emotions. And as well as Dallas Willard's paradoxical method, which calls for engaging in a light, mindless activity. And so when your mind is relaxed and open, God's thoughts can slip in. So these teachings are completely untethered from the Bible. Uh, They undercut the sufficiency and authority of scripture. And a lot of people would say, well, you're worshiping the Bible. This is bibliolatry. No, we're worshiping God Almighty, who has given us his inerrant, inspired, infallible word. It is authoritative and binding on our consciences. And if you're waiting for a word, you're waiting for this message, and it comes from outside of scripture, how do you know that's not binding and authoritative on your conscience? Hearing God's voice is quite simple. With a humble heart that has been spiritually reborn solely by the grace of God, solely through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in your place, shed his blood to pay for your sins, rose the third day, ascended to the Father, and promised to return. You trust the Holy Spirit to help you understand the written word of God. And in the written word of God, you will find his revealed will. And you will find wisdom to help you make wise decisions. So you will find yourself able to make micro decisions wisely based on the macro truths of God's word. Because hearing God's voice means hearing the written word of God and trusting the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. So then, Mike, talk to me a little bit about we have these different systems from these different men. Talk to me a little bit about what that means for a daily basis for me. How can I decipher what God's will for my life is? How can I make these decisions if I don't have these hearing the voice of God moments? I think we need to trust the spirit of God to use the word of God in our lives. If we really want to honor God and, you know, glorify Jesus Christ, that we want to listen to the word of God and obey it on a daily basis. And so I just think it's simpler than we make it. I think we make the Christian life so complicated sometimes, which I think keeps people in a kind of a legalistic prison of keeps them in I, chains. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't do the thing that they said I should do. And this writer says I have 12 steps to do something and, and I've only done two and I'm not a very good Christian, you know, yeah. how about just opening up our Bibles every morning and say, Lord, teach me. I, I I'm listening to what you're saying in the word. I want to understand it. I want to, uh, and, and we're not doing this alone, right? We're doing this as as the body of Christ. We should not be thinking, well, my life is just my own and it's me and God individually. We are a part of a fellowship and with brothers and sisters in Christ that are helping us as we're processing uh, the truth of the word. But we just want to be obedient to what the word says. We want to worship God as we're reading the word and as we're wanting to apply it. So it's like, take the next step and make the next good decision. What I like to tell people is love God and do as you please. That's right. Because when you're loving God, you will do what pleases him. That's right. And I want to make sure that none of our listeners think that we're trying to bash anyone or that we're trying to put people down. We want to please God, but but I am called to warn the flock and to pray for the flock. Mm-hmm. And I am very concerned with where our evangelical culture has gone. And you think 
earlier, you mentioned this three-legged stool that the Catholics use, but I think we've created our three, four, five, six, 12-legged stools. And they're all in different directions. And they're like all going in different ball, directions, weird. right. And so illumination of scripture and meditation of scripture. We need to talk about meditating on scripture. This is very important. This is where a believer who has had the, the word illumined to him, you're understanding the word, you, you take it and then you think about it deeply and you roll it over in your minds. And you know the work of the Holy Spirit in our personal experience cannot be disengaged from scripture. That's probably the primary problem. People disengage scripture and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit does not speak in ways independent of scripture. So apart from scripture, we would never know of God's grace and mercy in Christ. Uh, the inerrant word has told us, our subjective experience has not told us. But the idea of meditating on this word is where you are, you are knowing it's fully reliable and you are, you are thinking it through. In fact, Brian Hedges says that the word meditate literally means to mutter. Hmm. So you're literally muttering the word to yourself continually day and night. And this can't be done unless the word is in your mind. So it implies a regular intake of scripture through hearing the word, reading the word, memorizing the word. And Hedges defines it this way. Meditation is listening to God speak to us through his word for the purpose of transformation. J.I. Packer put it this way, that sometimes as we're meditating on scripture and the greatness of God, we are literally arguing with ourselves, arguing ourselves out of doubt and out of unbelief. Because what you're doing is you are reminding yourself again and again of the truth. This is what we mean when we talk about preaching the gospel to yourself. You're rehearsing in your mind that Jesus died for me. Jesus died in my place and shed his blood in my place. He, he loves me. He, he rose from the dead. He's coming back. He's with me always. And we're reminding ourselves of the truth of scripture. So meditation on scripture is a, is a big deal. You, you fill your, your mind with thoughts of God. You, you delight yourself in the Lord. You, you see his, his power and his strength in your life. And God fills you sometimes with joy inexpressible and full of glory, mm. as First Peter tells us. And so the idea is God illumines the word to us. And then we, we live it out. We, we literally just live it out in daily life. But we take it with us. We think about it. We chew on it. We, we mutter the word to ourselves. <laughs> Well, this was excellent. Talk about these issues. Talk about why we can trust scripture so much and then also addressing some of those dangers. I mean, we've talked a little bit about hearing the voice of God and we did two whole podcasts on it, but this is shocking stuff that I, I don't think people realize how prevalent it is. And I don't think people realize just how much it's infiltrated the church. I'm going to say one more thing. Oh, I'm. this has been a good subject. I can't cut you off now. I think there are some warnings for the church today and they're simple but we need to take them to heart. The first thing is that we should give no place to false teaching. If we know that there's a practice that is encouraged in the evangelical church that is not in line with the word of God, for example, when Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, people will say, see, you're supposed to hear Jesus's voice. You look in the context of John 10, it's all about the motif of the shepherd. And it even says that those who heard him did not understand this figure of speech. Well, many people today don't understand that figure of speech. And so they say, oh, you should hear all these voices from Jesus. This is all about hearing the gospel and believing the gospel and being secured in Christ forever. That's what John 10 is about. So we need to reject false teaching. Number two, we need to avoid confusing terminology. We say hearing God's voice and hearing Jesus's voice and listening to the Holy Spirit, that confuses a lot of people. 
But we need to be careful to be biblically accurate with our word choice because a lot of sincere Christians mean the right thing when they use confusing terms, but there might be someone who is immature in their faith who doesn't know what they mean. So that's important. Number three, we need to beware of inadvertently leading someone else astray. That person that doesn't understand how you mean it and they start thinking, well, I guess I need new messages from God. And the fourth thing is that we should brace ourselves to be challenged by well-meaning yet uninformed believers. We need to be loving with one another. We need to be understanding with one another. But we need to speak the truth in love and never waver in preaching the whole counsel of God as the only viable, reliable, authoritative, and sufficient revelation from him today. Absolutely. And that kind of transitions us to this point that I kind of want to make. If this subject is very sensitive, if, if you're cut to the heart on this one, if you're irritated by what we're saying, we, we want to talk to you. We want to be able to talk through these issues because we believe that it, it is helpful for the church. And so please, you know, don't run away from the issue. Like, let's talk about it. Let's go to scripture. Let's understand what God wants us to be doing. Uh, we want to be, and just like Mike says, let, let's be willing to be challenged by it. And so if you want to email us and ask a question on this topic or any other topics, maybe suggest a topic, email us at ordinarychurch at gmail.com. Also, Ordinary Church stems from Grace Church of Orange, but it is designed to be useful to anyone who goes to a Christian church. We want it to be useful beyond just Grace Church, and that starts with getting the word out. If you know somebody who would benefit from this episode or one of our past episodes, we want to encourage you to share it with them. Even leaving us a review on iTunes helps. We hope that you enjoyed this episode, that it was beneficial to you, and that you will join us next Thursday as we remain faithful even in the ordinary. 